episode 172, Star Trek Debt of Honor Graphic Novel Review. Time travelers, and welcome back to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. And today I'm going to be talking about a comic book that really is a time machine. This is an, it's an old book. It's an old book that I did not read when it came out. It's an old book that I had opportunities to read since it has come out and did not read it. And it really is. A, it's a it's the best kind of time machine because it was cheap. And so it, it was a cheap time machine that took me back in time. And yeah, it only cost me $10. But well, actually a little bit less than that. But it took me back in time because it was a reprint of a graphic novel from 1992. 1992. That's where we're going to for Star Trek debt of honor which was an original graphic novel it was published in graphic novel format uh it was actually published in hardcover originally 96 pages written by chris claremont with art by adam hughes and i just happened to notice this on the shelf actually it wasn't even on the shelf so in our local comic shop you have the shelf and on the top three shelves, it's this week's comics. On the bottom three shelves are last week's comics. And then there's also a few different uh, miniseries there. Um, but then next to it is a glass display case that they aren't using for things to go into, but they are setting some things on top of it. And I just happened to look over and see this oversized comic with a cover that's not glossy. It's it's a card stock cover. I just happened to see it. It's Star Trek. And recently they did a reprint. IDW did a reprint reprint of the Star Trek, the motion picture adaptation that they did in a magazine size. And it reminded me of that. So I picked it up and realized, oh, this is a graphic novel that I actually almost checked out of the library a couple times. And I might actually have checked it out of the library Maybe once, maybe twice, but I never got around to reading it when I checked it out. Might be, I might even be thinking of something else that I was checking out from the library. But anyway, the it was there. And so in some ways, this is, I'm recording this. I'm not sure when they released this book, but I'm recording this three days after I bought the book, four days after I bought the book. And I'm not sure if it came out last week or if it's been a few weeks, but... This is a fairly recent printing, but then it's a comic book from when DC had the Star Trek license back in 1992, which is I was reading the Star Trek comic book in in those years. I actually I might have just gotten uh, given up my 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 subscription to Star Trek. Um, at one point, I had a subscription to both Star Trek and Star Trek Next Generation. It was when they both launched after Star Trek five. And I had to give up the the subscription to next generation, but I did keep the original series going for, for a little while. So anyway, this graphic novel 
It's there at my local comic shop. I pick it up and I take it home. And then the next day, no, actually it might've even been that night. It just was not a good night. <laughs> it was not a great period of time for me. And uh, it was just a, a moment where I just said, you know what? I'm not feeling a lot of joy right now. I'm going to steal some joy. I'm going to steal some joy. I, I, I need some right now. I'm going to sit down and read this nostalgic book. I haven't read it before, but it's from a period of time that I was reading this comic book. It's from a franchise that I love. It's a comfort franchise for me. In fact, one of my kids once asked me just in the last two months, is Star Trek your comfort food TV show? And, and I said, well, actually, it might be. It really might be because it's something I can go back to. It's something I can enjoy when I go back to and it's something that I can enjoy with them. When I watch an episode of Star Trek, usually it's going to be the first time they've seen that episode. So is it comfort food for me? Yes. Yes, I would say it, it probably is. But I sat down, read about half of it, and then maybe even a little bit more than that. And then the next day, sat down and, and finished it. And just this is going to be my review. My review of Star Trek debt of honor. What did I think about this thing? Well, the first thing that I have to say about Star Trek debt of honor is, well, actually, before I say anything about it, I do want to say I'm going to try not to spoil the story. I'm not going to spoil the solution to the mystery. I'm not going to spoil some of the relationships that the characters have. I'm not going to spoil some of the twists and turns along the way. I'm really going to make the case for if you think you might like to read this or might not like to read this, I'm going to work very hard at doing that. So yes. Now the second thing I need to say about this is that this is a story for fans by fans. And, and the first thing I want to do is just read the dedication from the book from Chris Claremont as the writer and Adam Hughes as the artist Chris's dedication is to Frank Hampton and Dan Dare, pilot of the Spaceways, who first showed me the sense of wonder embodied in comics, and Robert A. Heinlein, who did the same for me in prose, and most of all, as always, to Beth, who keeps me honest. Then at the end, there's a caption box that says, for Gene Roddenberry, with thanks. Adam Hughes then says, Bob, the great bird truly responsible for the book you're holding. And I just get the impression that this is meant to be, like I said, for fans. Well, why do I get that impression? Because it is full of fan service. Uh, The back of the book says this. Captain Kirk and the crew of the USS Enterprise find themselves teamed with the Klingons and Romulans to fight a galactic threat that no government dares admit exists. A stunning 96-page adventure celebrating Star Trek's ongoing legacy by the top talents in the comic business today. It's a celebration and it absolutely plays out as a celebration. And these are people who appreciate Star Trek. I really, really believe that that's a big part of what went into this is that they really appreciated Star Trek. They cram so much into these 96 pages, which if you think about it, 96 pages, that's about about four issues. I checked actually to see if it broke down into four issue chunks. And no, it was written for this format. Uh, When you look at the, you know, page 24 from page 24 to page 25 there is no cliffhanger there is no place where it feels like this is a story break 
And I think I might have said this before already, but this was originally a hardcover edition when it first came out in 1992. So the question is, did it deserve that sort of treatment? And and I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it's good. It's good. I really feel like that this was an attempt to sell the comic branch of the Star Trek franchise to reluctant fans who hadn't made the jump over to see, hey, what are these comic books about? What's going on with this comic book stuff? I really feel like th- this might have been a part of that is to like say, hey, you're going to like this. It's Star Trek. It really is. And and hey, you remember the movie that you really liked? Star Trek 2? Well, uh, we're going to reference it here. And, and so, yeah, you'll like this. Uh, remember Star Trek 3 that you really liked? We're going to reference uh, Star Trek 4. We're going to reference it. In fact, they, they reference all six of the movies. <laughs> and they directly reference the first four movies. They indirectly reference uh, Star Trek 5 by setting some of the action of this in the lounge that has that uh, ship's helm. They indirectly reference Star Trek 6 when they're talking about bringing the, the Klingons and humans together. And and then in that way, it also feels like they're referring a little bit to unification in Star Trek Next Generation when they talk about the Vulcans and Romulans and humans together. And there's even a direct reference to a Next Generation character. So all of these things. And, and then, oh, my goodness. And then... <laughs> They have so many characters in this and the characters, if there's, if there is a character that they could have brought in from a, a TV episode, they, they did, they did. And when I say they, I'm talking about Chris Claremont. So maybe I shouldn't say they, I should just say him. Uh, the story involves Kirk coming into contact with an alien race at different times in his career. And so we look at uh, when he's a young officer on the Farragut, we look at him as captain of the Enterprise on the first five-year mission, as admiral just after the V'ger incident, and as admiral here at the time that this is set after Star Trek Four. C-1701A is the ship that they have. And so if, you, if you've seen any of those movies, you're going to see some scenes that are going to remind you of them. It starts out with a dream sequence where it's directly referring to incidents in Star Trek 3, Star Trek 2. And then the framing of this, it starts with uh, Captain Kirk on a boat with Dr. Jillian Taylor and George and Gracie and and it goes back to that you know it's that circular storytelling kind of a thing so uh each of those times though each of those time periods he also encounters a a woman who I don't want to spoil but it's pretty easy to see kind of where that character was going uh yeah so anyway I, I think I mentioned I was having a rough day or a rough rough week rough month uh, let's just call it a rough season. <laughs> it's been busy. It's been difficult. Uh, work has been difficult. Family changes have been difficult. There's been loss. And I'm not just talking about human loss, although I have had that recently in this in this season. But um, losing things that are actually less physical even than, than family relationships. So losing things like just my kids growing up and, and moving into a new house. And so the house that we lived in for 16 years 
we moved into a new one and that, that old one is just gone. It's just, it's just gone. And so it's been, it's been rough and, and I'm not going to lie. This, (laughs) this comic book kind of helped me process some of that. It really, really did. Uh, And I'm not going to go too deep into that, but I will talk a little bit about it because I'm going to review this comic by looking at my review quadrant. I don't use that on comic book time machine often. Maybe I should use it more because it does help me kind of uh, clarify my thoughts on, on what I think about a book, a movie, whatever. And that's by taking a look at four uh, different areas. So that's why it's a quadrant. There's plot, there's character, there's style, there's theme, plot, character, style, and theme plot is the story character is what are the characters like uh, style is you know the style of the artwork the style of the scripting and theme is what is this trying to say if anything and so you have certain things that are all you know they're all just focused on plot you know a lot of times a murder mystery is just focused on the plot sometimes a Twilight Zone episode is just focused on the plot to get you to that plot twist. But sometimes Twilight Zone is just focused on the character. And, and you know, a lot of independent movies tend to be focused in on the character. They just get a great actor that they can just get to just do the character and just be the character, embody the character. Napoleon Dynamite, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I wouldn't say that it has a really strong plot, but the characters are what carries it. Then you have the style, and and for a comic book, it's very easy to take a look at the style. You have Chris Claremont, and he has a certain style of scripting that he's going to use here, and then you have Adam Hughes with his style of artwork, and yeah, and then there's theme. What is this thing trying to say? And, And there are some preachy comics, movies, TV shows, books, whatever, that are all about the theme. Like they, they may say that they're a fiction book, but they're really trying to come at you with like, this is what I believe. And so you better believe that you're going to leave this book believing what I believe. And I just said, believe and leave way too many times. But anyway, those are the quadrants that I like to use when I discuss movies sometimes, especially over on strangers and aliens, but plot character style and theme. So plot wise, this story, (laughs) the story, it has a mystery of a new alien species. And honestly, I don't know where I would fit the alien species if they should go plot or character, but the alien species is a little bit scary. You know, I mean, obviously you're reading a comic book and so the feelings of dread and and jump scares and stuff don't really happen as, as easily as when you're watching a movie. But I did get a vibe from this that, uh, that I almost could see Chris Claremont saying, okay, I want a, an alien xenomorph style of mysterious alien species. And they also reference when they're talking about the alien species, they reference V'ger, you know, because it's an intelligence that they just can't understand. And and there, there's a mystery then behind it. They're like, what are they doing? What are they trying to do? Why are they here? Where do they go? And it says no government dares exist. They, they exist. Well, that's because there's not a lot of proof. And so there's just this mystery that's going on there. And the plot somewhat is... Well, it hinges on the mystery in that the mystery has them have to do things because you have this this alien species and they're trying to figure out what to do about them. But then the story also has there's there's three three things that the story is trying to do. One is that mystery. The other is that it's just trying to shoehorn in so much 
stuff for fans. There's flashbacks to every era of Star Trek at the time. And then a little bit, not not really a flash forward, but a reference of something that we're going to learn more about in the future, in the next generation, you know, and and the characters or their children from the TV series. There's just so many of them that are just crammed into the story there. There is the main seven. You've got Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Chekhov, Sulu, Uhura, and, and Scotty. You, you've got the main seven, but then you also have Janice Rand. She's in there. Nur, uh, not Nurse. Dr. Chapel shows up. You have um, Lieutenant Kyle. You have Styles. You have Jamie Finney, who was uh, the daughter of Benjamin Finney, and, and she thought that Kirk killed her father. And there's, a, there's an episode that I don't want to spoil there, but, but Benjamin Finney was such a good friend with, with Kirk that he actually named Jamie, Jamie, because she was named after James T. Kirk. I'm sure there's more characters that I missed, <laughs> more names that I was supposed to recognize. I didn't have the time to look them all up and like search through the book and see. Um, but there was so many characters that it's just like, hey, remember this character? How about this one? Remember this one? Now, I, I won't lie. It was kind of nice to see Kyle show up because he's one that even early on when I was in elementary school watching Star Trek and I realized, oh, he's not quite an eighth main character, but he kind of is, you know, he's around enough. Um, and anyway, um, oh, oh, there was also Kor, Kor, the, the Klingon. He, he shows up and he's actually, there's a lot of lip service given to the whole idea of the smooth head Klingons and the bumpy head Klingons and how this is kind of a, a time of transition for them. And, um, yeah, so that, yeah, he's there. Anyway, the plot in some ways I think exists almost like Chris Claremont saying, okay, what can I do to bring as many of these characters in together? The, the reasoning in the plot that they use to say, this is why these characters have to come to be a part of what's going on. It works, but it does feel a, a little forced. And then the other thing in the plot that feels a little forced, but not as much, is the coincidence that Kirk just happens to be around every time when this alien, strange alien species shows up in these different periods, these different time periods. Now, it doesn't feel as forced because the first time it happens, there's a reason for it because it's happening. You know, it's the first time. And so this is the thing that happened. And then after that, there's a little bit of a, uh, well, Kirk is motivated by a little bit of a Moby Dick style motivation. It's not quite as obvious as Picard in first contact, but there is a little bit of a, an idea of whenever he's kind of in that area, he's going to look around a little bit. And so, less coincidental and more motivated. And and when I'm reading a story and when I'm writing a story, I, I try and when I'm writing, I don't want to have too many coincidences happening, but you have to have a few, you know, you, you do have to have a few. When I'm reading though, I'd much rather see the plot move forward, not because of coincidence, but because of motivation. Characters are making choices that take them in that direction. And but even then you have this coincidental, this character is making this choice. This character is making this choice. The choice takes them to the place where they're going, but coincidentally they're going to the same place. And so I get that you have to have some coincidence in stories. 
Sometimes it's to make the story happen, and sometimes it's to keep the story happening. Um, but in this case, Kirk, who just happens to be there during the V'ger pajamas era of Star Trek, and then he also happens to be there, you know, and it just could be more of a problem than it is. But it is a little bit of a coincidence problem for me. For some reason, that bothers me more than it does for other people. And I think it might be one of those pet peeves that I have that I really I really need to just say to myself, it's just a show. I should really just relax, maybe. But anyway, I do wonder how much better this story might have been if the fan service flashbacks were lighter and it only took place in maybe two or well, maybe just two time periods instead of a career spanning threat that just happens after these famous episode. You know, one of the times he encounters the aliens, it's after the doomsday machine episode. One of the times he encounters the aliens, it's after the V'ger episode in their career. And, and it's just like, okay, so we have this big event that we saw on screen and now we kind of see what happens next and it just happens to involve these aliens. And so, eh, you know, that, that, that's a weakness for me, but it didn't hinder my enjoyment. It didn't hinder my enjoyment. I feel like the alien species also could have gotten a little bit more screen time. And I, I feel like a little more time could be spent to explore what they are, maybe even a little bit more like the who they are. But this story is not about grand sci-fi ideas. There is some. The alien species does have some interesting sci-fi ideas behind it. The main idea of this thing is it's about character. And and maybe this is why, you know, I say, well, could it be a little bit thinner on the flashbacks? But the theme of what Captain Kirk is dealing with emotionally and personally and in his character arc in this book it does need in some ways those flashbacks because of just where it's going and yeah this this is a story about a man who needs the help of friends to tackle this long term outstanding problem from the past even as he's dealing with the more uh, recent real emotional fallout of his son's death and the loss of his home in, in Star Trek three. And when you look at Star Trek three, you kind of, there's a lot going on for Kirk, a lot of, of loss as he is going and trying to get his friend back. There's people I know who complain about, you know, characters who they just don't stay dead, you know, and, and, and a character can die and it's just going to come back. And there's legitimate complaints to be made there, but you do have to admit that the resurrection of Spock had a significant cost. Kirk especially, but Kirk and the rest of his, you know, that, that tight knit seven uh, crew of seven. Well, I guess Spock wasn't around for them. So a crew of six Kirk and the six, they are coming to get Spock because he's important to them, but they are also making sacrifices and the sacrifice they're making is they could be sacrificing their career. They, they could be sacrificing you know, so even if they're not losing quite as much as Kirk did, which he's losing, he lost his home, the Enterprise, which is one of the most important things to him. He lost his son. And and the, that episode of Star Trek, Star Trek 3, there's, there's loss there. So, yeah, well, let's just move on. As we're talking about that, let's move on to character. 
So Kirk is the primary driving force of this comic, although it does try to give the backup characters things to do and arcs to live out. But man, there's so many characters. And unfortunately, because the the book is so short, and I'm saying it's a 96-page book that's short, but it, the, the length of the book gets in the way of giving everyone a chance to really shine. And it's like Star Trek three. And in that regard, everyone gets a chance to do something that's important, but the rest of Star Trek three belongs to Kirk and McCoy and, and I guess Savick to an extent, but, but everyone gets like their one thing to do. Uhura lets them get to that transporter and transports them to the Enterprise. And Scotty sabotages the Excelsior. And and Sulu judo flips uh, a tall security guard. They all get a chance to do something. The rest belongs to Kirk and McCoy. And that's okay. Because that's what the story is. Um, there is, like I said, a whole bunch of other characters. And, and Jamie Finney especially gets a... A character arc of her own. And then there's also a new character newly created for this named um, to sell. Like that's how I read it. It's T apostrophe C E L. And, and she's also a part of those flashbacks to other areas. And okay. So coincidence brings them together. And, and, but I guess it's okay again, because she has a similar motivation because of her own experience with these aliens and she helps Kirk then. She actually helps him as they're going through time together and living life apart, but then coming together. Um, she helps him with some of his emotional issues that he's trying to deal with. And then with with so much going on, though, it's a testament to Chris Claremont's scripting that she's really able to have a strong through line and a character arc of of her own. So I guess that brings us to a place to talk about style when I'm talking about Chris Claremont's script writing. And yeah, so the, <laughs> the story it's, it's well paced, you know, and there, but man, there are so many words on those pages. <laughs> I'm not sure what size the hard cover was printed in. I'm not sure if the soft cover was printed in traditional comic book size, but I can't imagine how small the words would be in that smaller format. There's just so many words uh but like i said this was uh only nine dollars it was well 9.99 cover price so as a hardcover i'm not sure what it would it would have cost in 1992 but this was a uh it's the cover is a cardstock and the pages inside are kind of a cardstock they're definitely a heavier page than in a typical comic book, but this is not reprinted as a graphic novel. It's reprinted as a magazine size saddle stitched. So that means a stapled book. And it is it actually was, it felt good in my hands and it being only nine 99, I would love to have more books in this format. But anyway, there's so much packed into this. that I would really just like to see some of those action sequences and other time periods, maybe just not be there or, or maybe, you know, remove a few characters and, and let some of the main cast do some of those things. But in some ways, you know, like bringing Jamie Finney in is kind of supporting the theme that we have of, of time moving forward and, and life going on. But yeah, maybe remove one or two of the flashbacks, some of the characters, 
uh, yeah, and again, that, that coincidence, just the fact that after the Doomsday Machine event and the Farragut event and the V'ger event, Kirk also happens to encounter this new species every single time. And, and he's, only, he's the only one from the Federation who who's encountered them or who has reported it anyway. And Starfleet barely believes they exist like this. We're stretching my suspension of disbelief just a little bit. So even at 96 pages, this could have been streamlined a little bit, but I, I understand there was a lot of story that Chris Claremont wanted to tell. And I, one of my first graphic novels, I did something similar to what I'm going to complain about Chris Claremont doing, which is, and I had 150 pages in that book <laughs> and I got to the end and realized, and this is historical fiction. It's a adaptation of, of stuff from the Bible. So like the outline is there for me already. And I get toward the end and I realize I'm running out of room. So how am I going to take care of that? Well, I'm going to put a few more panels on the page and I'm going to just really quickly end things. And so that's kind of what happens here. And But then you got to think about it. And when I say it kind of happens here is you, the resolution of the mystery. I just wish we could have had a little bit more time to spend in the wonder of the mystery. But then again, I remember, you know, this is not a mystery that has characters who are solving the mystery. This is a character arc or arcs with a mystery. That's part of what's pushing the characters in their arc. So yeah, I wish there'd been a little more interaction with the aliens earlier. So the, maybe that mystery could be unraveled a little bit as the story is moving on instead of just finding out all the revelations toward the end. But yeah, that's, that's me nitpicking and the mystery does have a satisfying and alien, not in the sense of the xenomorph from the alien franchise, but the alien creatures that they encounter here truly are alien creatures. So, yeah. Meanwhile, uh, the a style of the artwork, Adam Hughes artwork is amazing the characters were on model and oftentimes there's the complaint about comic book adaptations of TV shows, but Adam Hughes, man, he makes it feel like he's got the people in the room with him. There's been some comics that I read that I remember reading as a kid where I'm looking at that and thinking, wait a minute, I saw that photo in Starlog magazine. Like they're just looking at photo reference. And I feel like Adam Hughes has the photo reference going here, but he is interpreting different expressions and um yeah so i just yeah he he drew them expressively he drew them on point and even as he is simplifying the human form the human face for the comic book page there's some of those images where i'm like where did he get a picture of william shatner smiling like that after he'd been splashed with, you know, water from a whale's tail or whatever it might be. So it just, it works so, so well. And his, his ships are gorgeous. Uh, there is a two page spread splash with the enterprise. And it's my favorite, my favorite version of the enterprise, the movie era enterprise, the one seven Oh one a, with the swept back nacelles and, and the blue deflector screen. It's just gorgeous. I love that ship. I feel like that's one of the best looking ships in all of science fiction. And 
it's beautiful. And he does a great job with, with the TV era Enterprise. And there's been some comic books where I'm looking at them like, did they even have a picture of this, let alone a model to use? You know, and I know we have more models these days, more toys and stuff these days you could use, but sometimes you just look at that and think, good grief. Actors have to sign like a, a likeness agreement that if I'm going to be part of this movie or this franchise, then people are going to be able to use my face in on the toy packaging or in the comic book or whatever, you know, a spaceship doesn't have to do that. So if you don't have the likeness license, you know, the spaceship doesn't care. <laughs> and I've seen some really bad artwork and I'm not talking about the gold key, gold key comics. I'm talking about DC where they just like, did you even look at the ship? Or are you just drawing this from, from memory from the movie you saw 20 years ago? But anyway, Adam Hughes, is not one of those people. I'm not going to make that complaint at all in this book. It's, it's all on point gorgeous. The alien creatures look sufficiently alien. There's some neat stuff going on. The opening scene is a dream sequence that uh, the, the, the first page is a splash page of Genesis falling apart when Kirk is fighting Krug and it's, it's dramatic and it's beautiful. And then we see that Kirk is spending some time with, with Jillian Taylor from Star Trek four and they are monitoring George and Gracie. And again, they are on model. They are on point. George and Gracie have never looked better in comics. They must have signed the likeness agreement and it was, you know, forever. And so they just, Adam Hughes was able to use the photo reference and maybe he even invited them over. I don't know, but, oh, and also uh, Kirk and, and Gillian look good too. And I, I can't remember if it's Gillian or Jillian from the movie, but I might say it both ways here, but yeah, they, they looked really good, really good. Finally, we have the theme and, and this is one of the things that also just kind of pulled me in and made me enjoy this, but that opening dream sequence sets up our theme as Kirk is dealing with the emotional fallout of his son's death, losing the enterprise. And that's kind of setting up the theme. Now, obviously they have the new enterprise, but that's, that's new. <laughs> and it's not the same, you know, and it's like, I moved out of my old house. And even if I moved into a new house, that is exactly the same as my old house, there's going to be differences. And so, yeah. So we get a couple different things that are, that are set up here for theme. And, and one is it, first, you can't help, but have loss in life and you're going to have to deal with it, you know? And second, you want friends who are going to track you down and, and help you. And, you know, and, and even in the first scene where he's talking with Gillian's and she's saying, you know, your best friend is a psychologist, let him help you, you know? And so there's, you can't help but having loss and having to deal with it, but it's, you can deal with it better if you're dealing with it and you're not dealing with it alone, you know? And, and third, you shouldn't forget that stuff that's happened in the past but you can't always look at the past. You have to keep looking forward. And yeah, so if I have any complaints, and, and there were a couple, all things considered, this comic made me smile. This comic made me curious about the mystery that was going on and the aliens that were going, you know, were part of that. The mystery was, was satisfying. 
Uh, I f- it felt like Star Trek from 1992. It felt like that era of Star Trek. And it made me want to dig out my old uh, Star Trek comic books and, and reread those and, and continue on and read past my, my subscription that I had. Because somewhere along the line, I can't remember if I got it on eBay or where, but somewhere along the line, I, I ended up with a full collection of that that era of, of Star Trek comics. And I also have the Marvel um, motion picture era comics as well that you know, made me want to reread it and, and and just read it again. But it also it gave me that those kind of warm feelings of nostalgia it made me made me look backward, made me look backward to when I was in high school. And I felt a little bit of the comfort of a lost time and high school wasn't a great time for me, but I had good friends and, and I had things I enjoyed like, like Star Trek. Um, it made me think about things I've lost in the last year or so as Kirk's dealing with his, his loss. I haven't had anything nearly close to what it would be like to lose a child, but, but I had lost a home, you know, I didn't blow up my house to kill Klingons who had taken over or anything like that. But, you know, I, I did lose, I lost, lost that house. And, and now I'm, we've moved into a different and a, and a new one. And, you know, I didn't lose the house in the sense of, you know, losing the house because of lack of payment or anything like that. I was just, we sold the house, bought a new one. And yeah, so it's similar in, in that regard, but there's other things that, that were lost in the in the past here and a year or so and anyway this comic made me think about things i've lost recently but it also made me think about moving forward and most importantly it was fun and so i i highly recommend star trek debt of honor the price was right the art was spot on star trek fans check it out if you haven't already and it says reprinted it's it's the first reprint of the classic graphic novel in almost 30 years. Yeah, I don't know what I was looking at on the shelf at my local library. Might have been this, it might have been another reprint of something else, but I in some ways I wish I'd read it earlier, but in other ways I'm glad I read it for the first time now. So, all that said, I want to thank you for listening and hope you got a little bit of enjoyment talking about Star Trek with me or at least listening to me start, uh, talk about Star Trek. But hope you had a little bit of fun doing that. I definitely had fun reading it. So I just want to say now, wherever you are, wherever you go, whether you're you know looking at space, the final frontier, going on your own voyage, wherever that voyage may take you, I just want to wish you Godspeed. <laughs>